speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. And now, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman. You are the one they call president? I am. I see you are practiced in worshipping things that fly. Good. Rise before Zod. No. Kneel before Zod. You are not the president. No one who leads so many could possibly kneel so quickly. Welcome, true believers. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong company. Uh, welcome to episode 10 of First Strike, the Invasion podcast. It's the podcast that covers the entire DC Comics crossover invasion from 1988. This is Siskoid, one of your hosts. I'm Bass, the other one. You know it by now, the show covers every tie-in to the uh, Invasion crossover. In this episode, we're covering Superman number 26. 75 cents, US, $1 Canadian. That's right. And the story is called It's Just a Shot Away by uh, writer Roger Stern, penciler Carrie Gamble, inker Brett Breeding, letterer John Costanza, colorist Pietro Scottis, assistant editor Rene Witherstatter, and editor Mike Carlin. Before we get into it, Let's look at the cover. I love this cover. Do you? I do. I love the cover. I, I, For some odd reason, I was not expecting this. This is a total surprise. It's a basically voodoo doll with a Superman suit. <laughs> yeah. a straw Made out of straw. And there's like a, a piece of chicken foot tied next to it. And potions and stuff around. And eyeballs in a glass jar. And a smoking little candle it's beautiful you it. don't expect it because this seems to have nothing to do with aliens actually yeah yeah it has to do with what goes on inside but to me it was like a very odd choice yeah it, it's because it, it wasn't very invasiony well i think they're uh, basically inside we'll get to the story soon but basically it follows superman in one of his just regular adventures and then just veers off into invasion because I mean, the invasion waits for a new Superman. It just happens, so, so Superman's busy. In this first half of the show, uh, we'll do the synopsis, mm -hmm. and then we'll discuss the particulars of the issue and the story, and also where Superman is at this point. Well, we haven't seen story. Superman or heard of Superman since the beginning, really. Right. Everybody's been saying, where's Superman? Yep. This issue does cover that. And in the second part, we'll talk about Superman as a whole. Okay. What he yeah. means to us, which are which iteration is our favorite, uh, that'll be our discussion for the second half of the show. So stick around. There, there won't be a break now. But <laughs> <laughs> so uh, musical interlude. Yeah. Let me do the synopsis. Here. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. And you can flip pages as as we go if you like. I shall do that. My um, it's a bit involved because the Superman books. Not only there wasn't just one book. There was two books at this point. Action Comics was Action Comics Weekly. Okay. With just like two pages of Superman and different an anthology series of different heroes. So it's not part of the Superman continuum. So it's just two comics right now. There was uh, Superman and the Adventures of Superman, right? Right. And Action Comics would come back into Superman's life a bit later, a few okay. months late after Invasion. And then they would eventually add Superman the Man of Steel to make it really a weekly. There's still a lot of subplots, lots of stuff going on, lots of supporting cast characters that have to be um, given stuff to do. Yeah. So bear with me. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Our story starts in Suicide Slum. A body is found that could be the work of a voodoo killer who leaves dolls with pins in them near the scene. A Superman promises the special crimes unit he'll investigate further, but when told, the Hoongan assassin known as Baron Sunday isn't worried. He'll just kill Superman. At the Daily Planet, 
Clark Kent feels half dead by mid-morning and doesn't know why. He gets hauled into Perry's office with Lois where government agent Sarge Steele tells them they should contact Superman and tell him not to intervene in the invasion of Australia, which occurred just hours ago from their point of view. Clark storms out angry. Later that day, the planet comes out with its Drop Dead Special Edition. We'll see Luthor and Brainiac discuss it, and the latter bristles at the notion he might be part of the Alliance. And people start to ask where Superman is. The next morning, Thanagarian wingmen swoop down on Metropolis, and the noise awakens Clark Kent, who has passed out in a chair. As Superman, he fights the aliens and routes them, but it appears he's shot down by a Thanagarian weapon during their retreat, when in actuality, Baron Sunday simultaneously stuck a pin in a Superman doll. The Man of Steel crashes into the street below and into the sewers and disappears. Captain Adam goes looking for him and meets the Guardian down there. They agree to help each other look for Superman. Elsewhere, Brainiac can feel Superman's mind out there, but it feels garbled. Blocks away, Gangbuster finds Baron Sunday's assistant and intimidates him into giving up his boss's location. Gangbuster seems able to resist the Baron's magics, destroys a Superman voodoo doll, and drops the killer off at a police station before complaining about a buzzing in his head. Meanwhile, on the roof of the damaged Daily Planet building, Jimmy Olsen uses his signal watch to call Superman. Coincidence? A lot of stuff is happening, like I said. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's stuff here that's not important to our discussion, really. Brainiac and Lex Luthor uh, are in an alliance of, of their own. Yeah, and this version of Brainiac always annoyed me for some odd reason. The human-type Brainiac yeah. with stuff on his head. It's Yeah, it's the Brainiac, the Kaluan supercomputer or whatever has uh, beamed into a person yeah, on Earth. And I that's, hate that. That's the post-crisis uh, Brainiac. That sounds like something somebody would do in a movie and it would be awful. To make it cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the John Byrne changes are, you're right, very movie-like or oh, TV-like. Yeah. Okay. Let's, yeah. let's say TV-like. Because it really feels TV-like. Yeah, because he depowered Superman some you know, compared to his pre-crisis self. Yeah. And the, the comics started to play a lot more on personal relationships. And a lot of the villains were reduced to human size. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Lex Luthor doesn't have like a battle suit. He's a businessman. He's just the business know? guy. So it's the TV version of Superman kind of thing, but the pendulum had to swing. He had become too powerful and too involved in like Kryptonian lore and that kind yeah. of thing. And I don't think the writers knew what to do with that anymore. So the pendulum swung back when they rebooted him and made him more human, more Marvel-like, yeah. if you will, but more yeah. human, more... And I think a lot of the villains had to follow suit. The well, villains had to be more human. I mean, they had to. I mean, you can't you can't fight a, a real-life Brainiac, like an all-powerful Brainiac, if you're a down-powered... I mean, a fully-powered Superman would have problems. I mean, Brainiac's a Justice League-type supervillain now. Yeah, I I'm mean, defending it, but I mean... Over time, Superman oh, yeah. grew back into his power and so yeah, of his course. villains. And... I mean, he can still hold... Uh, and they're always doing that. They're always depowering Superman. Because some people think it's... Uh, we'll talk about Superman later, but... Yeah. You know, some people think it's easier to write, but Superman's not about how strong I think he, he still had a lot of power during this era. It's oh, just, well, yeah. It was just like making the powers more well, uh, explainable. I mean, he took out basically... What, 25, 30 Hawkmen, highly trained Hawkmen, <laughs> yeah. with weapons in the blink of an eye. I mean, he just, just took out all of them. Oh, yeah, the the, the Hawkmen were no contest. Absolutely uh, not. The Tanagarian, the bros, I like to call them the bros, the Tanagarian bros, they just got whipped by Superman. And they were lucky that there was another villain behind the scenes, because Baron Sunday, mm -hmm. this is the first time we see him, although he had been this, referenced before. Okay, okay like, so this is the first appearance? His first, uh, the first time we see him. Okay, cool. Although cool. I think he's in Shadow maybe once before. Those voodoo deaths. Mm -hmm. But he's not He's not just a Hoongan, he's not just you know, a normal voodoo priest of some sort. He's an assassin for mm. hire who does Yeah, he's who a voodoo uses killer. Voodoo. I think that's why I liked it. I think that's why I liked the cover. And I actually enjoyed this comic book, even though I don't... I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. I wasn't into Superman back then. I was, uh, you know, I was out of comics, actually, that time. But I kind of liked... It gave me the same type of anticipation, I'd say, as when I see Superman, like, around Kryptonite or something. I mean, magic is one of his weaknesses. Yep. A lesser used weakness, maybe. And, you know, voodoo, it seems, it seems like something not that powerful or, you know, and he takes out Superman. And we were talking about 
TV villains, Baron Sunday actually made an appearance in Lois and Clark. Really? So one of the few supervillains wow. that we saw in Lois and Clark. You should know. You have... No, I don't have you it don't? here. No. You don't? I thought you had him. No, I don't have Lois and Clark. But I... Why don't you I, have him? I, I just don't. But, you know Terry Atcher's in there, right? I know. All right. I don't have Desperate Housewives either. <laughs> well, she was Stop better in Superman. Stop looking. She was uh, better in Superman. So yeah, he was one of the few supervillains that we did see on the show. Okay. Because it's such a human thing. It's an easy, less not yeah. a lot of special effects. And you it's know, voodoo. It's yeah, voodoo. It's everything. Yeah, everybody seems to know what voodoo is, and and we don't, and we always, you know. So actually, I know quite a lot about voodoo. Actually, actually, yeah, you do. You're kind of a voodoo priest, aren't you? Oh. Uh, Voodoo's always interested me. <laughs> well, it is interesting. Because it's kind of a jumble of all, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's and... at least two religions jumbled up together, really. It's uh, Catholicism mixed with animist spirit okay. stuff. Yeah. So, And Baron Sunday, it's an obvious take on uh, Baron Samedi, uh, Baron Saturday. Yeah. Right? Baron Samedi is, not only is it the, you know, the villainous uh, Hungan in Live and Let Die. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I was, it was picking at my brain. So I'm like, where did I hear that? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. But it's the actual name of the uh, one of the chief loas. The loa is like a collection of spirits that the voodoo religion worships, or okay. call it what you will. And it's like the gatekeeper to the dead and uh, is Baron Samedi. So, so this is so like... this guy... This is a joke on Baron Samedi. He's Baron Sunday, so he's one day late. He's one day late. Because Sunday is, is dimanche, which is the last well, day. Baron dimanche. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. This yeah, is cool. Yeah, and this is like these murders were happening in the books, and then they had to take care of it. Yeah. And, and it's a good way to pwn Superman. Well, Because yeah. the Thanagarians aren't going to be a real problem. No, I mean, he hit him with a beam that could destroy a starship. Superman just... That's not what took him out. No, it's the pin in the head. It's the pin in the head. And this in is, the doll. And this is the thing with the Superman books at this crucial juncture. Because what you noticed, you know, Superman wasn't at his best. Yeah, he's kind of weird. In he's this. sleeping through the day. Yeah. He's feeling tired, which he shouldn't be. I know. During the day, I mean, he's passing out at night and barely waking up. You need an explosion to wake him up. And you can tell he's more anguished... Than, than yeah. you think he should be. He never smiles in this. Doesn't he? No, no probably I, not. I, he, he's always kind of like pissed. Slightly yeah. pissed. He, he feels like annoyed all the time. Yeah, he's got a lot of strain on his mind at this point. Like the thing that's, that really happened some like a year back or some issues back is that, and we talked about this before, is that he had to execute Kryptonian villains. Okay. Who'd gotten out of the Phantom Zone and had destroyed the Earth in the pocket universe where Superboy existed okay. for purposes of the Legion. Convoluted! <laughs> and since they were his people and there was no way to get them back in the Phantom Zone and he had to make a choice, he chose to expose them to Kryptonite and mm. kill them. The gold for, stuff? For their genocide. The picture okay. on the cover was like the green glow. First, he golded them. Okay. And then he executed them with green. I think okay. that's how it went. And this has been weighing on his mind. Well, yeah. He's been having bad dreams. We've seen this in, in intervening issues. At the same time this is happening, you've got Brainiac in these stories. And he's a powerful psionic. Yeah. He can feel the mind of Superman. He's, you know, he's been attacking Superman mentally. Uh, he's done so and probably broke something in there. And then we also have in this, Baron Sunday not helping... Yeah, because he pins him in the head. Anguish, crash. So yeah. everybody's attacking Superman's brain, basically. Right. And plus, this... plus Superman is attacking his own brain because right. he's... And this is the weakness that we don't talk about, usually. Like Superman, kryptonite, magic. But, I mean... He has a conscience. You know, his mind is not invulnerable. Yeah, really. So this is what's been happening to him for a while now. And it's caused a schism. I don't think it's... I, I mean, this is a pretty old spoiler now, but... <laughs> I don't think it's a spoiler if it's 35 years old. Uh, it's if, not. It's not 35 years old. It's not 35. Don't, don't say that. But it's still 88. I mean, I mean, it's it's still it's still pretty old. It's I don't, like this a, is not a spoiler. It's a 28 years old. So, if if you're offended by this spoiler, you right. need to chill. But I mean, it's a spoiler within the show. Yeah. Because the reveal does not happen okay. here, right? There's a mystery that's going on, and we'll see it through other Superman okay. books. But 
gangbuster at this point, the real uh, Ghostbuster, Jose Delgado. Gangbuster. Is, you said Ghostbuster. Uh, sorry. It's fine. That's fine. I mean, I got Ghost, I, Ghostbuster on the mind. We like that movie, so we're fine with that. <laughs> yep. Oh, oh my. I said it. We liked it. I All right. It. I like it. Okay, so <laughs> Gangbuster, Jose Delgado, Gangbuster, yeah. has been crippled okay. in a fight. I did not know this. Yes. And so this Gangbuster that we see in these pages, brutally beating on villains. Oh, he's, he's, he's tough. Yeah, and he's the one that gets Baron Sunday. This gangbuster can't be Jose Delgado. It can't. He's not. No, it's somebody else. And who else but Superman himself? There is a schism in his mind. Did I spoil it for you? You didn't spoil it for me because that, that's what I thought it was. Yeah. But for some, for for one minute, I thought maybe it was Steel. You know the other guy with the steel hand that was talking to... Sarge Harry, Steel? Sarge Steel? Because that guy, Sarge Steel, he's, he's the steel, right? He's the steel guy. No. No, he's not this... He's not... So Sarge Steel... Sarge Steel is Sarge not... Sarge Steel is a Charlton character that got ported over along with Captain Adam and Blue Beetle and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Right. He okay. was in All-Star Squadron, right? No. Nope. Or, uh, or nope. uh... Didn't he have, like, this blue suit with... That's not You're him. thinking of Commander Steel. Ah, I'm thinking of Commander Steel. He's a much Damn. higher rank. Yeah, he is. He is. <laughs> no, he would not take shit from Captain Adam. Sarge Steel is a government agent. He's oh, okay. often at odds with Amanda Waller. And he's involved in the war effort on the government side. See, I didn't, I didn't know that. I thought Sarge Steel was Commander yeah, Steel, no, or Citizen Steel. No, or whatever. Commander Steel at this point was already an old man, probably dead. He's the one that gifted the Justice League Detroit with a base, so okay. that his grandson would be in the team as Steel. But okay. it's not him. No, it's not him. So Sarge Steel is just this different character. He's okay. just got a steel hand. See, these, nothing, they, they got to stop with the steel thing, because I mean, steel is everywhere. Well, this is the Man of Steel. I know. So. So the Man of Steel, disguised as Gangbuster, who doesn't know he's Superman, and Superman doesn't know he's Gangbuster at night. And this explains why he's super tired. It explains why he's missing time. Uh, why Gangbuster's super strong. Yeah, one of the reasons why I thought maybe it's not Superman is that Gangbuster got out of the uh, magic, you know... Shackles, shackles or whatever or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's an odd moment because I know that he's Superman and the weakness to magic is really a pre-crisis thing. It, I mean, they've used it in post-crisis. Yeah. But was it really established? Was it really... That's what I'm, I'm trying to think. You know, when... Could he still be able to break... If those chains, for example, had a physical component, then he just broke the physical component because he's so strong. Baron Sunday isn't that shit-hot uh, a magic user. No, and this wasn't you know, voodoo. It's just like... Uh, spells. Yeah, just spells. He was doing the yeah. Doctor Strange hands. And, and maybe he made shackles for, you know, a street vigilante. Yeah. And then turns out he had Kryptonian strength. Well, you know, that requires a different spell. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, it even if it's magic, I mean, it should be breakable. And or, it's you know. clever because Gangbuster would be immune to the voodoo yeah. because the voodoo doll is associated to Superman. Baron Sunday wouldn't even know to use it. And exactly. even if he did, maybe the two different minds makes it yeah. two different people. Because it's really played as two different people. Yeah, because he, he has... Uh, it's not even the same character. Well, it, he doesn't feel like the same character. No, so true. yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's another guy. And it goes back to the street Superman. Yeah. Uh, the, the TV version of Superman. Because there are a lot of heroes running around in his book. Yeah. Beside himself. Metropolis has many heroes. And they all yeah. appear in these comics. Yeah. So the Guardian is one. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Guardian is one, and I mean, Gangbusters another. At this point, is Guardian because Guardian's an old guy, right? He was in uh, a long time ago. Right. With, with yes, the he was a Golden Age character, mm -hmm. but then he was brought back. And this is a discussion we can keep for next time. Okay, let's Because do that. next time is going to be uh, Adventures of Superman. So yeah. we're going to go from Superman to Superman, and let's keep stuff for then. Okay. One of the things we can keep is Guardian and the Newsboy Legion, because they have a more prominent role yeah, yeah. in the next okay. chapter. Okay, cool. Right? So you've got a lot of these street heroes yeah. running around Metropolis and getting their share of the action. It really is the TV version of Superman. Yeah. Because it's if you look at TV today, Arrow and mm -hmm. uh, Flash and all that, you know, they're, they're not lone heroes. They know other heroes who yeah. consistently appear in their show. It's kind of that formula. It really is. Yeah. It's, it's really a TV-type Superman. Well, that kind of eases my soul because so I, I was going, you know, the Superman guy. I don't know if, it, if I don't know if I like '88 Superman because he's so dour. Yeah, exactly. No, I understand. It's uh, it's like a really rough patch, and he. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think it would be. Uh, invasion is sort of a turning point for him. Okay, we'll see eventually. But out of invasion, Superman will launch himself to his next step. Uh, so see that I like because I yeah. love Superman. But I, I read Superman when he was. 
uh, before Crisis. It kind of stopped everything with Crisis. And then I didn't really read anything. So, you know, I, I got to the ultra-powerful Superman and, you know, punching the anti-monitor yeah. in the jaw, you know. And uh, and then no more Superman for me for a while. Till the, basically, when Grant Morrison restarted the Justice League with the Big Seven. So, you know, all that time. I'm, Almost 10 years, or more than 10 years. Yeah, a little bit more, yeah. actually. Yeah. So, you know, I'm kind of out of that 88 Superman loop there. I was kind of distraught. I was, just, you know concerned what did you think of the art the art was pretty good you know what i kind of like suicide slum because it's a little part of gotham inside metropolis yeah you know it's kind of the yin to the yang type thing and uh you know it's kind of sinister at point at some points and it, it's kind of nice and you know it's very clear i don't know i i liked it thanagarians are always awful i don't really like them i never well, <laughs> in any look in any look because i mean they're big birds and they're they're kind of you know, kitschy, and they don't even use their wings. Just anyways, <laughs> if you have uh, Hawkman fans, uh, I'm sorry, I don't like Hawkman. Art is clean. Everything's really Superman e. Yeah. So I well, don't know. to me, the this era, one of the reasons I love this era, the post burn era after burn left is that the art and the storytelling is so strong. As yeah. Clean superhero comics. You've got this. Gamelin Breeding are perhaps the least flashy okay. of them, but it's super solid artwork. It is. And then Jerry Ordway on Adventures. And then once action comes back on, it's freaking George Perez. So, I mean, yeah, it's you've got very, very, very strong art. Let's say that the art in this is at least ten times cleaner than the one in uh, the Firestorm issue that we read. <laughs> Where that was just jumbled. Tom Grinberg. And, and hair going everywhere yeah. against the wind sometimes. No, it's one of uh, the better looking issues. This is very nice, yeah. We've read. It's very clean. Point black. Uh, and it's very TV like also. I mean, uh, they're keeping the, the camera's always at the right place mm. for some. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I talk about the camera once in a while and how it sometimes people are in the wrong place. And this is. It's yeah. good. It's good art. I, I think Mike Carlin did a superb job on the Superman books during his tenure, where as editor, coordinating uh, all those different creative teams to make it one long story. Eventually, it's like it's a weekly story that focuses on different things, but you can tell there's a through line. It was very, very well coordinated for a long while, and attracting some of the more solid writers and artists. Well, yeah. It, it was a very, very strong group of books, and it only dropped off you know, around the time of JLA. A dipping point for Superman, I thought, where it was getting a little tired, perhaps. Well, I mean, Superman had a very big run. I mean, uh, with the Superman TV, well, Lois and Clark, uh, that was big. There was a lot of Superman going on. Yeah. So uh, I can see how eventually you have to, something has to give. Especially if you're doing a weekly comic, Yeah. basically. That's a lot of Superman stories. I mean, you have to fight the Toy Man once in a while. I don't know why you'd want to, but yeah, you have to. I think he's not so bad as maybe the, the prankster <laughs> or something. <laughs> well, you know, pranksters kind of... Oh, they're fun. I just love them because yeah, yeah. they're fun. Uh, but eventually, everything was reinvented. They, you know, they, yeah. they reinvented everything from the pre-crisis. And eventually, everything's been you know reinvented yeah. and then maybe we're spinning our wheels maybe that's what happened any other notes on the issue i no, mean I, I was i was glad to read some superman at this point because we hadn't seen superman at all during everything we've done and myself i was trying to i, I was going to where superman why is superman not in this yeah and but uh he and is now he is he is but then you know he drops off the map uh, due to his mental problems and the invasion yeah. does have an effect on metropolis the the daily planet is damaged and the is, whole yeah. the, the globe on top is smashed, and there's this thing also. Sarge Steel he came in and you know told everybody that they need to tell Superman that he has to keep uh, his hands out of everything. Uh, also, so you know he's been told before the crisis hit, before we see the big headline uh, drop dead, that Superman shouldn't interfere. Yeah. So now we kind of understand why he didn't, but we didn't know. At that point right. in the comic book, we didn't know he was also gangbuster. Right. Part was... of this happens before the invasion. Yeah. Before invasion number one. Exactly. So or concurrent. Was... So yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in this book. It's uh, it's still a great read, though. There's a lot of stuff, but it's all clear. You know, it's very good. It's well written. And we'll get more of that in the next chapter as well. We'll take a small break. And when we come back, we'll talk about Superman. Why we love him or hate him. The big guy himself. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is, and we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... You know what? I just, I just can't do this. 
Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like Season 2 of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of Bailitude. And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbailey2.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Oh, that's a great podcast. I love these guys. <laughs> well, I had to use this one because it's <laughs> Superman. Okay. Superman, my notes are very spare. I only wrote why we love Superman. And go from there. <laughs> because I knew that we already had this yeah. you know, on our brains already. Yeah, because, uh, well, I love Superman. I've always liked Superman. I, I grew to love Superman. I know a lot of people don't. I kind of understand that, why people would not like Superman. Because he is overpowered. I mean, the guy can hold a black hole in his hand. How powerful is that? Depending on the time. Well, yeah, yeah, well... Morning is best. So, I mean, I, I love Superman had it when he's strong. That's my Superman. I love him when he's super strong. I actually really, really fell in love with All-Star Superman. He's the strongest Superman ever, right there. I don't like weak Superman, because weak Superman has to deal with too many things. Jeans and blue t-shirt Superman from uh, just lately. Yeah. You know, with the crew cut and, you know, the, the Superman who's maddening because he's trying to get back his powers. I don't like that guy. He's boring to me. He's like, ugh, predictable. And, and this is weird because I think a lot of people who see Superman as being overpowered all the time, they see Superman as boring and predictable. So it's kind of weird, right? That I see boring and predictable in a weaker Superman. I don't know why. But I, I love Superman not because of his powers, but because of who he is to own his powers. I mean, we talk about weaknesses, magic being one of them, his mind being one of them, Kryptonite, of course. But when we talk about powers, we always think about how strong he can punch somebody or how fast he can fly or run, uh, which is never faster than Flash, by the way. Never. What I love of, like, about Superman is that he's the only one proof that ultimate power does not corrupt uh, absolutely and he's that's his biggest power he can't be corrupted and that's what everybody's fearing all the time about superman is that they think that if they were superman they know they would be corrupted and that's why they're always fearing superman in, at in some level that's why i think that's why lex luther hates superman because he's uncorruptible and he, he has all this power and if Flex had it, well, everybody would be kneeling down to him, you know? So, and Superman, he's, he's just, he's, this ultimate power hasn't made him cold. Actually, it did uh, quite the opposite. It made him warm and caring. And that's what I love about Superman. That's a good point. And I think it's one of the reasons that some corners of fandom dislike him or think he's boring is because of that uncorruptibility. Or that's what they'll say. They'll say it's, he's a boring character because he's not tortured enough. I mean, read this book. Read, read this very issue. <laughs> not tortured. Because even though he did kill, he did break mm. his own code and it, made, it drove him mad. The idea is that People think he's boring because he's such a nice guy. He's always he always do the, the right thing. And I think the best Superman stories are exactly those. Where it's not about how strong you are. The, the challenges aren't physical. The challenges are ethical. I yeah. think we talked about this when we talked about Wonder Woman last time. Actually, yeah, we kind of because touched that. Similar characters yeah. uh, on that level. So it's the moral fiber that is super strong in Superman. Yeah. And that's one of the key components that should not be dismissed. Because this is a character that's supposed to act as a beacon of hope for people. And that we can be good. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, we shouldn't let anything make us forget. This is the best that we can be. Maybe that's why a lot of these um, Superman comics from this era have so, have so many characters. Because Superman by himself is perhaps a little cookie cutter. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily, but I, I, think, I thought he had like a strong personality during this era. But that he could be a cookie cutter superhero. But then when everybody else around him 
is inspired by him, is angered by him. The reaction everybody else has and all these other heroes have to him are part of the dynamic. This is the character that started it all, and so other characters and other superheroes in these issues gravitate around him as well as counterpoint. Even Gangbuster, who is him, is basically a contrast to what he is. Yeah. This is what this is Superman gone wrong. Yeah. This is a brutal, dangerous Superman. Yeah. He's yeah. holding back on the powers, but He's still... He's Superman who is annoyed and will take action as gangbuster. Yeah. And this is my favorite era of the Superman comics. Mm -hmm. Very much. Because it was such an involved story that kept going and kept going and kept going. And, you know, you're reading some of these books and it doesn't matter what Superman is doing. You're reading it for Lewis Lane. You're reading it for Jimmy. You're reading it for Lex. It's like this grand soap opera. Where else am I going to get my Guardian fix or my Agent Liberty? (laughs) I don't don't think anyone... But... (laughs) No, no, where else? Yeah, yeah, where I else? Don't know. You know, I've read Superman from all eras, really. Maybe less the 2000s. Yeah, okay. But I've read Golden Age, frequently write about Silver Age, the silly Silver Age comics. The silly Silver Age comics are awesome, though. Yeah. I think what attracts me to Superman, really, at this point, is the same thing that attracts me to the Legion of Superheroes or Star Trek or Doctor Who. It's such a long history and such a rich tapestry that even though he's been rebooted a few times, how are they going to do Crypto this time? How are they going to do Brainiac and Lex? And how are they going to do Krypton and the Phantom Zone? And or will they at all? It's the richness of the material. There's so much of it, but it's a lot of recombinations. And you end up liking the history of it. Some of it is dumb. <laughs> Some of it is silly, which is, yeah. which is one of the things I do like, though. And so I don't want a silly crypto and streaky story that's not true i really want some (laughs) silly crypto and streaky stories but you know maybe at this point there were no super pets but i still wanted to see them you know and the fact that they existed in maybe previous continuities they still exist and i can go back to those stories and enjoy a crypto story and not want him to pollute a more serious take on superman but all those takes can exist and like all-star Superman, mm-hmm. is a great example because it, it's got a modern and yeah. postmodern take on the character, but also uses all of that Silver Age lore in a modern way. Yeah, very much so. So it's cool. Do you have a favorite TV iteration or, I mean, TV or movie, live action or You know what? I, I, I do. It's the cartoon. The WB cartoon? Yeah, the... I love that Superman. Loved him in his own cartoon. I loved him in the Justice League. That that Superman I like. Live action Supermans are, are fine. Uh, I don't hate them. Uh, any of them, actually. I kind of all like them, even the later ones. I, I liked Brandon Routh sure. as Superman. Actually, I, I like him more now than I did when he became Superman. But uh, you know what? I like all the Supermen, but the one I prefer is from the cartoons. That's I've been like. going through those cartoons again for yeah. blogging purposes. I've been watching a lot of Batman since you started doing yeah. that. I love that show. Yeah. It's a great show. I think the Superman ones are disappointing me right now. Oh, really? In a way. Because I read the comic at the same time. There was like a Superman Adventures tie-in comic. I was reading it and watching it back in the day. And so I had like this false impression that the supporting cast characters were much more involved in the cartoon. But two seasons in, and Bibbo has yet to have more than five lines, and I'm wondering why he's there at all. Ah, because he has to. Well, he has to. It's like it's the cast from the comic, but they don't all get enough Mm. stuff to do. Perry White gets nothing to do. So it's kind of Monster of the Week or Villain of the Week kind of thing. It's like leaving me a little cold compared to some of the deeper Batman stuff from the original show. Okay. But... If we're talking about just reinvention of characters, that that show, the WB shows, do it so very well. Mm. I I don't understand why they can't reboot the DC Universe properly uh, these days. (laughs) Like the constant reboots, but they they seem to struggle with recreating these characters in in a way that's iconic, while the cartoon did it seamlessly. The very first, you know, that Superman cartoon um, started on a three-parter. Well, like a TV movie where the destruction of Krypton takes up the whole first 20 minutes and, and then Superman getting to Earth and Brainiac's in there and he's like the supercomputer of the planet. Mm-hmm. So it's like a different origin for Brainiac. That TV movie is brilliant. It's a brilliant reinvention of Superman. It get, gets all the right notes. And the comics have a real trouble, and comics and movies have real trouble achieving that. I think maybe they're trying too hard. I don't. I don't know why. I don't know. I mean, I'm not in the meetings. I don't know. <laughs> no, uh, they kicked me out. But there's one thing. I didn't have my. Uh... 
<laughs> visitor pass. <laughs> but you know they they uh, they have this hard time I think reinventing because uh, maybe too many cooks too many cooks are ruining the sauce maybe yeah I think Superman is one of those characters that because of movies uh, have too much editorial shenanigans around them um, that's that's what I'm thinking right now because I'm sure that some there are some great writers out there who probably have already written some awesome stuff and it's been just thrown in a garbage pail or recycled. I don't know what they do in Hollywood. <laughs> uh, but I'm thinking garbage pail. Well, we're due to see Superman in the Supergirl show next year. Yeah, yeah. So that's a new reinvention. But, you know, that show's been doing pretty well with yeah. um, redesigning that part of the DC Universe. And, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm sure they'll do pretty well with it. I can't wait to see how they're going to bring in Superman and not have him like overtake everything um i i think they'll do it well because the show is really i mean it's really nice and it's it's doing good uh but i superman's so it's an imposing figure i mean superman comes in he basically takes over yeah um and yet he's the character that for all his power if written well can defer to another can yeah. give the spotlight to someone else because he has that humility yeah and capacity to you know, give the other person a shot and listen to the other person. He can actually give the leadership to someone else. Yeah, well, he would because he doesn't need to have that all the time. He's not needy. He doesn't need to be the, the guy in charge all the time. They put him in charge, but he doesn't need to be the guy in charge yeah. all the time. He's the Captain America well, figure. You know what? They're very similar, and especially in the way they, they see the world. Uh, even though Cap's like, you know, he's old in a young body, he still has these very simple morals that are unbudgeable. And you know how to make those two characters not boring? Not the boring Boy Scout that some say they are? And this is true of this era of Superman that we're looking at now. You give them a sense of humor. Because if they've got some snark, some self-awareness, you know, like Superman, knows he's got all these powers, and if he's going to stop a uh, small-time crook and, you know, crush his gun... And kind of be snarky with them. Kind of, mm -hmm. you know, let them know, are you really, really like this? Yeah. yeah. Can, can you just walk to the police station yourself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of. If he's going to be humorous in that way and know he's super powerful but disarming to civilians around him, then suddenly he's got a personality. He's not just, I'm going to do the right thing. He can joke. He mm -hmm. can, you know, have fun with his powers and say, uh, I'm going to, you know, dangle this guy off a, <laughs> off a building and scare him. <laughs> and use you know, use intimidation. Yeah. Like the very first appearance of Superman in Action Comics number one, he grabs a guy and then starts, he can fly back then, so he starts running on telephone wires. He's running around and the guys are screaming uh, because of the height and the chance for electrocution or whatever. So he's just running on electric, uh, electric wires and having the time of his life. Yeah, he's, he's having a blast. He knows he's not going to drop this guy. He knows he's not going to electrocute this guy. We're not sure at this point, well, though. No. At I this mean, it's point, the first we're story. not really sure. It's the first story. But yeah. if we know him, he's not going to. Yeah. And he gonna. knows it. But this is a bad person. I'm going to scare him witless. Mm -hmm. And then he'll be happy to go to jail. And why not? That is not being a bad person. No, no. No. So if Superman has that, and we see this in this era and better eras where, you know, he can, he can have fun with it. If you give him that, then suddenly you can understand why people around him, good people, would like him, would look up to him, not feel threatened by that power. Well, they're not going to be scared of somebody who's... And I think that's how they're getting it wrong in movies or whatever. Yeah. Where he's, he doesn't have a sense of humor, doesn't seem to. Like the Christopher Reeve Superman had a sense of humor. Yeah. And Dean Cain had a sense of humor. Those, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say he doesn't ever smile or have that element. There's um, this one moment. Today, but. This one moment in Man of Steel where he breaks the, the drone. That one moment when he comes and he brings the drone or the something there. And the, the, the guy goes, uh, well, that's a $15 billion piece of equipment. Why are you trying to find me? I'm telling you, don't do that. And he's he has to, like this big smile. And that's the one moment in either Man of Steel or... BBS. Blah, 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 blah. I'm, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not yeah. going to talk about it. But that's the only time where Superman actually sounds like a nice guy. That little moment. It's like uh, 15 seconds. I think humor is part of being a nice person. Come, yeah. You know, that's what makes people like you. When he's that, then we can see like a Superman that is disarming, that people would like. And that's mostly been missing 
in the movies, not because it doesn't happen, but because people don't react the proper way either. So yeah. he's not doing that with the right people, and he is not disarming. Yeah, exactly. Not the way that, since we are talking about the movies, I mean, the, the counterpoint, the funnier uh, counterpoint to Superman is often uh, Thor, uh, which has also a big red cape and, you know... Similar fought. powers. Yeah. yeah, and he's all-powerful. He's half-god. I mean, and he's he's always joking around. He's always being funny, whether it's, you know, jokes about when he hits something with things, you know, you don't, you have to put some weight into it or else you don't get, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, and that's why I think Thor is, is so likable, even though he is super powerful. I In mean, the films, at least. And he has this nice smile, you know, he can be a tough guy and when he frowns, you know, he's meaning business, but when he all of a sudden smiles... Uh, the whole room like I mean I, I, it sounds like I have a man crush on him and I kind of do but uh, <laughs> but you know when he smiles everything just lightens up and I mean that's what I think we want to see a little bit just a little just that you know that real genuine smile that that knowing he's a nice guy because I mean he's very powerful the most powerful he's the big guy in any case we'll get back to Superman again yeah soon next, next time and again after that so uh, we're going to take another small break and when we come back, let us from the front. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Eight Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? Uh, <laughs> Doc Samson. Who's he? Star Fox. That's a video game. <laughs> The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Letters from the Frog! Letters from the Frog! <laughs> so our last episode was the Wonder Woman extravaganza. We, we probably had a couple comments on there. We, uh... I mean, it was Wonder Woman teaming up with the Justice League. Yeah. Fighting two different alien uh, races. Yeah. And we could have gotten into trouble. Did we? Well, we could have. Uh, there were two comments. Particular, well, I mean, two comments. We talked a lot about feminism yeah. and what Wonder Woman meant as far as... But, of course, we're not, we're not women. We didn't get called out on any of that. So no lady said you guys are full of shit. No. Because we're trying not to be full of shit. Diablo Frank, of course, is a Wonder Woman fan and expert. Oh. He has his own Wonder Woman podcast. Well, no. Which is far too infrequent, Frank. Because so, <laughs> we like Wonder Woman. So he sent one of his usual diatribes, but it's actually... Uh, I think I'll read more Diablo Frank tonight than... I have since the show began. Cool. All right. I just hope he doesn't rip me a new one. The other thing was regarding Guy Gardner. Because oh. I said, this is all my fault, that I didn't understand conservatives who enjoyed superhero narratives. Yeah. Because, to me, superheroes are a liberal ideal. Well, normally imagination is. <laughs> oh, I'm in trouble now. I'm no, you're in I'm trouble. kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just trolling. We didn't get into trouble, really, but it did spark a lot of discussion. And we're, oh, I'm not going to read everything. Folks, This we're part of the Fire and Water Network. Please go to fireandwaterpodcast.com. Yeah. Find the episode 9 and look at the comments. There, I will not read all the discussions, but yes. they're intense. Uh, uh, and remember, remember one thing. Uh, we're Canadian. To us... You're all very strange. You are. <laughs> and how we see all of this kind of has its unique point of view because it's not the same here. I'm, I'm just saying it's just... We're filthy good. socialists is what yes, that's the thing. that's what <clears throat> we're saying. Are we starting with the Guy Gardner stuff? Let's start with the Guy Gardner stuff. Okay, that's the rough The conservative stuff. stuff. Okay. The people that listen to us are so damn nice. Okay, good. And there's no fighting. Okay, good. I think nobody got insulted. Okay, good. And um, I got to make my thought more precise on the page itself. So if you want to read the whole discussion or participate, I mean, it's not too late. So, for example, on Facebook, our one Facebook comment from Michelle Fifa, who's a comic book pro, said, Superhero comics historically embodying tolerance and diversity. Absolutely. Which was my point. Which is why I find it odd whenever fans react to the polar opposite. But you know, I shouldn't be surprised. Fandom has always been conservative in their artistic tastes. I've always been interested in that argument. I, I don't believe that anyone is completely liberal or completely conservative yeah. uh, in every way, including aesthetics. And uh, Diablo Frank on this topic said that the discussion uh, led to a pet peeve of his, 
which was the influx of East Coast liberal Marvel zombie fan pros into the industry in the 1970s that alienated conservative readers. He admits that he's been a conservative yeah. and he's much more liberal now. Okay. So he says that this was perhaps best exemplified by uh, the period where Denny O'Neill, for example, was writing mm -hmm. Green Lantern yeah, in there, yeah. uh, you know, and bringing a very liberal political, social yeah. agenda to some comics. Well, that's what Oliver, Oliver Queen did. Right. I mean, that's what he was That's, there that's what for. he turned him into, yeah. And he thinks the bent created a hostile reading environment for conservatives that remains to this day. And he says that there isn't really a safe space to be right-wing for comics uh, people. The few openly conservative creators have been driven out with torches and pitchforks, which with even the once revered Frank Miller now treated as a punchline. Yeah. Is it any wonder that the size of the comic book audience continues to shrink as we've not only pushed out roughly 50% or more of the potential readership most in sync with the core principles of superhero comics, but also been very slow to embrace anyone else outside the white middle-class Judeo-Christian democratic centrists, a rather narrow target audience. And yeah. he says, it was an interesting observation that the comic industry can be perceived as left-leaning that many years ago, I was reading an interview with Tim Truman, he says, where he talked about not being comfortable with superheroes because the concept was inherently fascistic, which drove his interpretation of Hawkworld. He correctly says that in history, comics were status quo-leaning or conservative-leaning in a way. The Golden Age and the Silver Age, and uh, they were patriarchal. Mm -hmm. They were about white characters. Any character of race was a caricature, very often yeah. an evil one, which isn't consistent with liberal values. No, but that's a reflection of the times. Right, and Stan Lee and his group changed things. This is all this is all Frank here yeah. uh, that I'm paraphrasing. But that Stan Lee and company changed things, brought a social agenda, brought you know the hippie culture because yeah. he was trying to sell comics to teenagers yeah, well, of that era, and that stayed because. Either Stanley and and friends were hiring like-minded people, mm -hmm. and that stayed for a long time. Now I don't agree that there are no conservative writers, artists. No, no. There are like Fables is written by an openly conservative uh, writer. Edmondson, who was writing Black Widow not long ago, and Punisher also. But I guess there are fewer. Eventually, Professor Alan Middleton chimed in with a personal account. He says, uh, As a moderately conservative person of a traditional religious faith, I don't expect my views to be represented well in most media. Does it annoy me when people with my general views are mocked, misrepresented, and just outright dismissed? Sure. But I've learned to treat these situations the way I treat my colleagues at faculty meetings, to just ignore them as much as I can and not take them too seriously when I can't ignore them, even when the comments get personal. And he says, So for me, it's a matter of expectation and of perspective. If the worst thing that happens to me in a day is that my political, social, or religious views are not supported 100% in a comic book or a TV show, or in my Facebook feed or a comment thread, then I've had a pretty good day. Well, I think that's... Uh... Yeah, he's got the right attitude. And, you know, I talked to him a lot as far as, you know, what does it mean in any case? The whole... I think what we see of conservatism right now for us... It's somewhat a caricature of right. what it really is. We're, right? we're seeing the, the leaders, and the leaders are not necessarily representative of the population. Exactly. And I don't think at all that Professor Alan Middleton or anyone that's listening to this is a wingnut. Uh, either side, whatever we consider to be a conservative and a liberal, it's incredibly reductive. And I think that right. one of the reasons that conservatives hate liberals and liberals hate conservatives is because we've formed tribes yeah. somehow. And rallying around a leader or a, a group of positions and saying, my tribe, my positions, even though I don't share every position, I become a representative of that yeah. Of the, all those positions, that you can't be uh, at once pro-marriage equality and a fiscal conservative? Can't you be both of those things? Can, can you be pro-choice and yet uh, pro-military? I believe you can. That's what I call, and I'm going to be very simplest in this thing, that's what I call up here the hockey fan mentality. If you like one team, you, you just like that team. Everybody else is wrong. Everybody else is rooting for the wrong team. It's all your team. Even if your team has horrible people in them. <laughs> You root yeah. for that team. You root for that team, and everybody. you like all those players. And those yeah. players move to another team, you now hate them. Yeah, exactly. That, that kind of idea. And that's kind of a weird thing to me also, because I'm one of them. I'm one of those people who likes... Uh, Soccer. I, <laughs> might be blasphemous. <laughs> I might be blasphemous over here. But I like DC and Marvel. <gasps> well, no, exactly. That's exactly where I... I, I didn't know you, that's where you were going, but that's what I was going to say next. And, and Marvel and, and DC is the same fucking dichotomy where yeah. you can't like one and the... I will you not can't like both. I will not choose okay. one or the other because I love both. I, I agree. And I will never choose between things I like. I will not choose between Star Wars or Star Trek because I will like both of them. I yes. will not choose. And that is not a problem. 
I know. You don't have this to be... This is a safe place, my... I know, this is a safe place. <laughs> and yeah. I think it's the same with political values. Yeah, exactly. That we tend to demonize the other side yeah. because they're not part of our tribe. Yeah. And our own tribe, we're not even part of our own tribe. Exactly, because nobody's 100%. When I started seeing these comments, I thought, oh, yeah, I, you know, it's a politically charged time, and yeah. I just went bathing in hot water. But no, everybody was so nice and understanding. And oh, that's I think, cool. And extremists are on TV. You know, they're a minority, and they're yeah. making everybody else look bad. And we, we see them a lot because they're entertaining. I mean, the nuts, they're entertaining. Uh, just regular folk, they're kind of boring, and they don't they don't get on TV. And, and that's why uh, we see them the a lot. not nuts uh, are listening to this show. Yeah, exactly. And maybe making their own podcast and they're not so boring but <laughs> exactly uh, i'm glad you didn't get beat up verbally bah. i think that superheroes are essentially non-political anyways yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not politics driven it's values driven and we see ourselves in them or see irony in them so for example my big example is the punisher which surely is a conservative superhero strong on law enforcement and uh gun culture like if you were a conservative maybe you'd think well that's like a conservative ideal superhero kind of thing for a liberal minded reader it just seems like a condemnation an ironic condemnation of the same so the the punisher is it's not the hero we want mm -hmm. it's a hero we deserve perhaps the hero we get but it's not the hero that we would want to emulate and we see it perhaps as a an ironic counterpoint to other superheroes who do not kill do yeah. not use guns do not. and we can both be entertained by the, that same character all right let's talk about whew, other comments which are wonder woman related Man, you were in hot water my friend no 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 <laughs> it's a jacuzzi it's <laughs> wonder woman because now we now let's talk yeah. about the wonder yeah. woman and a lot of people again go to the website a lot of people told us who are their favorite Wonder Woman, yeah. their favorite Wonder Woman era. And that's their, very cool. Their favorite writers and artists, basically recommending Wonder Woman material to one another. Check it out if you want to read more Wonder Woman. It's awesome. Frank, like I said, is an expert on the subject. So he wrote quite a lot on, on the matter. I will still read a large portion. It's a large chunk. Yeah, but I like it. I'm glad I can't read. It's your fault uh, because it says, when Bass mentions... <laughs> <laughs> That's how it starts. When Bass mentions that Wonder Woman is part of the Trinity at DC, this is the other controversy. Yeah, the Trinity. Yeah. I kind of felt it when I said it. That it wasn't true? Well, that it, it's planted there. That's what they would like. Frank smirked at the common idealistic sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I've championed the concept myself, despite it being something of a modern invention. When Matt Wagner used that term for a miniseries in 2003, it still felt odd and unfamiliar. Because from her very beginning, published at Harry Donenfeld's side company, created by a prospective Frederick Wortham, who was lured into the fold with the promise of creating a philosophically educational heroine, Wonder Woman has been adjunct to the DC Universe. The book was highly successful quasi-porn bondage fantasy that bridges the gap between little girls and Randy Servicemen. Uh, that didn't come out right, he says. Once <laughs> All-American was folded into National, because these were all different comic book companies in the Golden Age, and they all became DC. So once All-American was folded into National and the witch hunts began, I'm confident Jack Leibowitz was embarrassed by the title and would just as soon have canceled it. However, Martz had a rights reversion clause in his contract and DC would be damned if they allowed one of their assets to slip away. Let's not forget that Wonder Woman has never had her own cartoon, only held one popular TV show 40 years ago that wasn't revived despite solid ratings and made her cinematic debut in a cameo on her 74th anniversary cameo is it well, more than a cameo i mean she was the only reason that movie would be watched again yeah it's more than a cameo and he forgets there's this one animated movie that's on netflix right now that's pretty good. Her book hasn't sold well since the Golden Age, and if DC's rights weren't tied to its publication until sometime in the 1990s, she might have slipped away into obscurity. My understanding is that DC finally bought out the Marston stake, and she's been a titan of merchandising for the company, so it's only in the last couple decades that she wasn't the most notable red-headed stepchild of comics. Hence, Superman, Batman, and Robin were DC's world's finest trio across all media and licensing until just the last few years. Diana just now branched out of Justice League Super friends appearances in superhero girls a glorified web series whose title challenges the english language so his point is that wonder woman has never been well treated I, and so cannot make a claim to being part of the same group as superman and batman i know but i think 
everybody sees her as something more than just a product. I think everybody sees what she's supposed to be. And maybe that's why we're trying to get her there. I like having a, a strong female superhero because we're starting to have them now. I mean, I have a little boy. We play Star Wars all the time. And sometimes I play Rey. Sometimes he plays Rey. And we don't care. We play girls because she's awesome. Yeah, why not? And if he wants to play Wonder Woman one day, I'll be glad because, you know, she's awesome. We wanted to be that. Inspiring a real superhero, not a female superhero, just a superhero. Frank is saying that Wonder Woman hasn't been well-treated by DC. Right now, very few of their characters are being well-treated. Yeah, all the characters (laughs) suck. We also get told that Wonder Woman met Black Canary. That was a question we had. When did they meet? Uh, Wonder Woman met Black Canary during her post-crisis debut in the Legends miniseries. And spoke admirably of her in Wonder Woman number 8. Rob from the Aquaman Shrine, the Fine Water podcast, uh, all of that stuff says, I remain resistant to the whole invasion crossover, but I'm getting a decent sense of it thanks to the show. Oh. So, okay. Uh, Gene Hendricks from The Hammer Strike says, uh, This is my opinion, so take it or leave it. I believe we both took it. <laughs> if you have a Wonder Woman in her classic bathing suit who is bending over at the waist towards the reader, she can be handled in two ways. Good way, hand out with compassionate look on her face asking, How can I help? Bad way, squeezing her breasts together and giving you a come-hither look. George Perez is the master of the good way of handling it, which is why she was sexy but never sexual. There you go. That's one of our points. Yeah. Amen to that. David Ace Gutierrez said, Great job, Canadians. Uh, WW has always been a favorite of mine, and it's a treat to hear my favorite era of hers being reviewed. I don't think she was ever written as well as she was during Perez and Messner Loeb's eras. Uh, Jeff R. said, While I like the Simone and Rucka runs, I really enjoyed the new 52 Azarello run. It's one of the few new 52 books that was both good at and something that could not have been done without the Flashpoint reboot. A sort of Eddie Campbell's Bacchus inspired What If Wonder Woman had been made a Vertigo book, whatever. Uh, and this was, I thought this was really interesting because yes, exactly. When the new Wonder Woman started, it very much felt like Bacchus. Eddie Campbell's series with all the, the gods yeah. living on Earth, kind of some of them. Paul Hicks from uh, our Australian friend from uh, Waiting for Doom says G'day. you guys went a lot more deep and earnest than I expected on Wonder Woman it's appreciated Oh, Ange uh, from the uh, Supergirl blog comic box commentary says I'm definitely a Wonder Woman fan you can tell by the trades on the shelf and the smattering of runs I have in my collection I want to love Wonder Woman but only a few have captured her character the way I want so I have samples of many creators but extended runs of only a few you have to balance the warrior Diana armed with a sword and shield, with the one preaching peace and love. The New 52 and prior has been way too stabby for me. All DC has known recently is the warrior. Diana deserves more. I'm hoping the Rucka Rebirth books balance this out. I mean, it's a tightrope. And then we have uh, Jimmy McGlinchey, who says, well, who reminded me of the white suit, the white pantsuit era, which we didn't talk about. Yeah. Where Wonder Woman was... Well, yeah, she lost her powers. Lost she her was powers. Just, just and Diana like Prince, yeah. Mod Wonder Woman yeah. being like a secret agent. The writing isn't all that strong on those. I have not read any. I have the trade paperback. But <laughs> I do like the idea. I okay. mean, even if it's a depowered Wonder Woman, it was like a sassy you know what? TV Some, Wonder Woman. Sometimes, sometimes these moves are kind of fun. Some We know those things are temporary. So there's yeah, no exactly. reason to freak out fans whenever something happens. Because you know it's, it's going to be undone. And it can be handled interestingly. Every time I see Wonder Woman turn up in a white suit later on yeah, as a reference. It's always in the back of your yeah. head. Yeah. And he reminded me of the pre-white suit era as well and mentioned Egg Fu, the giant egg with yeah. the mustache. Yeah. A terrible, terrible Asian caricature, but <laughs> an incredibly fun idea. It's awful, but yeah. <laughs> it's very, it's zany would be the right word here. Yeah. Um, Darren Sutherland from Name It, Warlord Worlds. Uh, and many other podcasts, says, Linda Carter's version of the character is timeless. I watch the show every week with my mom and dad and really appreciated your comments on her performance and agree with the comparisons to Melissa Benoist's Supergirl. It'll be fantastic when Linda Carter shows up on Supergirl next season. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. She is going to come. Double the pleasure. <laughs> Ryan Daly from the Secret Origins podcast says, When the Fishnets look came back... Uh, which was another question we had. Black Canary was back in fishnets yeah. in that issue of Wonder Woman, but that's not what she wore in Justice League. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't like the Kung Fu outfit. The Olivia Newton-John outfit. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't like it. the 80s roller skates <laughs> type 
outfit. I like the fishnets. Yeah, the fishnets. She can, she can, you know, she can wear the. So fishnet. when did they come back? They came back in Action Comics Weekly. Black Canary had a strip in there. Oh, nice. And um, published around the same time as Invasion, where she wore the classic outfit. Well, you know what? I'm glad she did. Martin Gray from um, Too Dangerous for a Girl says, "I like the Boston scenes and cast. I still miss Mindy Mayer, but fell asleep every time the Amazons showed up. And so many gods, even Cheetah suddenly became a mythological type. So thank goodness for Bill Loeb's and his space pirates and gangsters. What a hugely underrated run that was pre-Mike Diodato. Suddenly, Diana has a personality and a fun one at that. So he's not a fan of the mythological okay. stuff. More of the superhero. More of the superhero. superhero. And I like when there's a balance yeah, myself. Yeah. I like when it's a little bit of both. Yeah. yeah, well, we're like that. Too. Goldran says, I can't stand the new 52 series. What Azarello did to the Amazons by making them into men-hating, straw-feminist barbarians who engage in rape, murder, and slavery is simply unforgivable in my eyes. Thankfully, it looks like they decided to fix this with Rebirth. Yeah, that was uh, quite close to the actual thing, because that's what Amazons did. It was kind of close to the, the source material, maybe too close. Michael Bailey from uh, Crisis to Crisis, the Superman podcast, says, I understand why people like Azarello's run. I did not. There are a few people who professed some love for the run mm -hmm. and some who professed some hate for it. He says it felt like an HBO series and not a superhero book. Well, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, kind of, yeah. 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 As for the episode, it was fantastic as always. I've said a thousand times that Invasion is my favorite DC crossover and that Cisco and Bass are doing the Lord's work and I can't <laughs> wait for the next two episodes as they will be covering two books that are directly in my wheelhouse and have bought property there. So he's happy that we're doing Superman. That's his nice. thing. That's his thing. He's covered these books already, by the way. So find those uh, if you want more on uh, Superman number 26 and our next time, The Adventures of Superman 449. Yeah. All these comics have been covered some time ago on From Crisis to Crisis. Uh, let me just uh, end here on some uh, Twitter and Facebook uh, retweets and shares. And keep doing that. That's very nice of you. Facebook likes and shares then from Abel Padilla, Gene Hendricks, Nicholas Prom, Keith G. Baker, Michael Wagner, Shag Matthews, Roy Cleary, uh, Michel Fifa, uh, Silver and Gold, Jeremy Gunter, Sean Emmons, Ruth Sutherland, Jimmy McGlinchey, Mike Peacock, and Trekker Talk. Twitter retweets and favorites from Film and Water Podcast, Comic Reflections, Richard Field, JSlab425, Bat, who also mentioned that he loves that Dominator cover uh, that we use for the um, for the podcast, Jim Bal, Phil, DC in the 80s, JM Comic Geek, Rolled Spine Podcast, and Christian Boltanski. All right, thank you very much. Next time on First Strike the Invasion Podcast, The Adventures of Superman, number 449.